get your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 18. We're going to cover the whole Psalm tonight. And while you guys are looking at that and going and gasping and wondering about that, um, let's ask the Lord just to bless our study. Father, we come before you. And Lord, as we turn to your word, we do, we ask that you would speak forth to us, Father God, that we would remember that it is your very word, that it has the life that we need. Father, we don't want to just live humdrum lives, just barely making it by. Father, we want to live that life that you promised, that life filled with abundance and joy. It's only found in you, Father God. So I pray tonight as we go to your word, Father, teach us to praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in Psalm chapter 18, this is the psalm of praise, and I've titled the message, Praise the Lord God, and we're going to cover all 50 verses, and we will make it in time tonight, I promise, but there's a tendency for us as people, we cling to God when everything is going crazy. We will hold tightly to him because we have nowhere else to go. And then as soon as the trouble passes, we have a tendency to ignore God in victory. Praise is an exercise that we have to do in the victory as well as in the storm. Because praise, what it does is it protects and it guards our heart from turning from God and forgetting what God has already done for us and what he will do for us. So the psalm tonight, it is a long psalm. It's the longest psalm that we've covered so far. And it's one of the four longest in the entire book of Psalms. There's only three others that are longer, 78, 89, and 119. So it's a long time before we get to another really long one. The title matches the length of the Psalm. If you look at the italics in in your uh, uh, Bibles there under Psalm 18, it says, for the choir director of the servant of the Lord, David, who spoke the words of this song to the Lord, on the day that the Lord rescued him from the grasp of all his enemies and from the power of Saul. That is a very long title, but it goes along with the psalm. And what it tells us is that this psalm, it's thought to be written about 1015 BC. It's entitled to the choir director, which we know is the lead musician or the, the one who leads worship for the congregation, but also you'll notice choir director is a capital title. Therefore, we believe that it also refers to God. He is our main choir director, our our music director, if you will. We read that it is of the servant of the Lord. David sees himself as a servant speaking this song to the Lord on the day the Lord rescued him from the grasp of all his enemies and from the power of Saul. So on 1015 BC is when David Around that time, David became king. And so David sings a song on the day that the Lord rescued him. And I think it might even be the same day that he finally was crowned king. This psalm has a revision out of uh, 2 Samuel chapter 22, 1 to 51. 2 Samuel was written first. So these words were spoken first in 2 Samuel. And this psalm is a revision of it. It's prepared for public worship from an expression of David's gratitude for the deliverance and being coming king and the deliverance from Saul especially. This is David 
seeking God when all his trials and all his troubles are now in the rear view. And now he still chooses to glorify God. So if you'll follow along with me, we're going to cover all 50 verses. We're going to read them out and then we're going to get into it and we're going to see about praising the Lord, our God. David starts off. He says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, where I seek refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who's worthy of praise and I was saved from my enemies. The ropes of death were wrapped around me. The torrents of destruction terrified me. The ropes of Sheol entangled me and the snares of death confronted me. I called to the Lord in my distress and I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry reached his ears. Then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of the mountains trembled and they shook because he burned with anger. Smoke rose from his nostrils and consuming fire came from his mouth. Coals were set ablaze by it. He bent the heavens and came down, total darkness beneath his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew, soaring on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, dark storm clouds his canopy around him. From the radiance of his presence, his clouds swept onward with hail and blazing coals. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High made his voice heard. He shot his arrows and scattered them. He hurled lightning bolts and routed them. The depths of the sea became visible. The foundations of the world were exposed at your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He reached down from on high, took hold of me. He pulled me up out of the deep water. He rescued me from my powerful enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out to a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. He repaid me according to the cleanness of my hands. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not turned from my God to the wickedness. Indeed, I let all his ordinances guide me and have not disregarded his statutes. I was blameless towards him and kept myself from iniquity. So the Lord repaid me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the faithful, you prove yourself faithful. With the blameless, you prove yourself blameless. With the pure, you prove yourself pure. But with the crooked, you prove yourself shrewd. For you rescue an oppressed people, but you humble those with haughty eyes. Lord, you light my lamp. My God illuminates my darkness. With you, I can attack a barricade. And with my God, I can leap over a wall. God, his way is perfect. The way of the Lord is pure. He's a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is a rock? Only our God. God, he clothes me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me securely on the heights. He trains my hands for war. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You've given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand upholds me and your humility exalts me. You make a spacious place beneath me for my steps and my ankles do not give way. I pursue my enemies and overtake them. 
I do not turn back until they're wiped out. I crush them and they cannot get up. They fall beneath my feet. You've clothed me with strength for battle. You subdue my adversaries beneath me. You've made my enemies retreat before me. I annihilate those who hate me. They cry for help, but there's no one to save them. They cry to the Lord, but he does not answer them. I pulverize them like dust before the wind. I trample them like mud in the streets. You've freed me from the feuds among the people. You've appointed me the head of nations, a people I had not known serve me. Foreigners submit to me, cringing as soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners lose heart and come trembling from their fortifications. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. The God of my salvation is exalted. God, he grants me vengeance and subdues peoples under me. He frees me from my enemies. You exalt me above my adversaries. You rescue me from violent men. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations. Lord, I will sing praises about your name. He gives great victories to his king. He shows loyalty to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. What a long, wondrous, continuous praise of God. Did you notice that he didn't have to repeat himself? There's so much wonder in God. He did not have to repeat himself in that. But there was so much that he was thankful for God that he has done. We have to have that heart that praises the Lord God. We can praise him in the storm. We can praise him in the victory. We can praise him on the height of the mountains and in the depths of the valley. But the only way we can praise him is from having a personal relationship with him. Praise for God comes from knowing him personally. Let's take a look at the first three verses. David opens up. He says, I love you, Lord my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who's worthy of praise and I was saved from my enemies. David begins with a declaration of his love for God. It's a triumphant declaration made in a time of great victory and great triumph. Now, David had already decided to love the Lord previously. We've seen this in the previous Psalms where where he's talking and and he's already said, Lord, who else would I go to? You're the one that I, he's already had that. He made that choice when he was younger, desiring to be a servant of the Lord. But now in his deliverance, David is overwhelmed and almost compelled to love the Lord in his deliverance. Have you ever been delivered by God? Do you remember that just overwhelming sense of, like, I'm just filled with love for you, God. Like, how could anybody ever treat me so kindly? How could anybody ever pull me out of where I was at and set me back up? And we're filled with that love for him. That's where David's at. He just came through this long ordeal. You see, David was taken at a young age from the sheepfold as a young shepherd. He was about, they estimate about 13, 12 to 13 years old when he was anointed to be king. Then he had to live about 20 or more years as a fugitive, someone who's anointed king by God on the run for his life. He's a man who had lost everything. David lost so much. David lost his safety. He lost his youth, his family, his rights. He lost his comforts, his connection with the people of God. 
But despite all this, David remained steadfast, faithful to the Lord. And God had now delivered David and fulfilled his promise of anointing. I can't imagine what David was filled with in that, that overwhelming sense of, oh my gosh, God, it's finally here. You fulfilled your promise. I have been anointed a long time ago, but now it's here. And so David says, I love you to the God who delivered him. Not just for rescuing him and saving him out of the trial, but because he recognized everything that God has done through the trial. You know, sometimes it's not till we get to the end of it that we see everything that God was doing in it. That was what David was, he, he was going back and he was recognizing all that God had done through the trials. Although those trials, God was using it to mold him and shape him. He would have never been the king that he was had he not gone through those hardships. They shaped him. And David says, I love you, God. And I want you to notice, he came through these trials. He came through this hard time, 20 years of his life. And he's not one bit bitter towards God for those trials. He says, I love you. He doesn't say it's about time. He says, I love you. And David has nine terms of adoration and praise and respect to God as opposed to what I've referred to as what we usually go through, the poor me's. Oh, poor me, or why me? How come I have to do this? David instead says, oh my gosh, check this out. My God, my rock, my strength. He cries out in despair in previous Psalms. But if you read all of his Psalms, praise keeps us from remaining in that perspective of hopelessness and despair. So David turns to praise regularly. And right here he says, my strength, and he's talking about enduring strength, not just strength to do one task. He's talking about God was his strength over the long haul. He says, my rock, and he's not talking about a little rock. He's talking about a gigantic rock. It's a solid rock. It's a symbol of strength. It's a symbol of anchoring power. Set your feet upon the rock that won't be moved. He says, my fortress. You take a rock and a fortress together, and what you have is a picture of a high place, a refuge. And then he says, my deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge. Because refuge in the Lord he's found is better than any man-made fortress or any natural-made protection. He says, my shield, the horn of my salvation. In the Bible, the horn, whenever you see horns mentioned, it refers to the authority, it refers to the power. He says, God is the authority and power of his salvation. My stronghold. He's got a whole long list of names for God that are accumulating. And these names mean God not only knew, or David not only knew God, he experienced God. hold on to those times where you experience God. And a lot of the times you'll find that those are the same times that are the hardest in your life, but that's where God is the closest. And it's not because God gets closer because we're going through a hard time. It's because we get closer to God. The promise in the Bible is where God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. It just so happens the hard times is what pushes us towards God. So David praised and he called out to the Lord, not only in the midst of troubles, but he's doing it when his troubles end also. 
He recognized it's God who brought me through to this point. He doesn't get to the end of it and go, gosh, I'm glad I got here. No thanks to God. He says, I'm only here because of God. And so he recognized it's God. He points to God and and he gives the victory in his life to God. And so I ask you tonight, has God taken you into some hard, long lasting trials? Are you in them right now? Have you just gotten out of one? Maybe you've just gotten into one. It seems hopeless. It seems hard. It seems despairing. As he's brought you out of that, as you come out of that, as you're going through it, are you praising or complaining? Because which one you choose to do sets where your heart is going. Praise protects our heart. Praise from the heart for God prevents bitterness in the heart toward God. It's all a song of praise for David. The good times, the bad times, the hard times, the easy times, because every time he's with God. So it's all praise. And I like how uh, Spurgeon put it. He says, to be saved singing is to be saved indeed. Many are saved mourning and doubting. Let us choose to be those who are saved singing, continuing to see. We praise him because he has delivered and he will deliver. See, when God saved, it wasn't a one-time deal. It's throughout, throughout his entire trial. There were many times where God saved David. And then finally at the end, God ultimately saved David. And then in the future, when everything is wiped out and the earth is done and judgment has happened, David will be saved yet again. Our future deliverance is still coming. Verse four, David says, the ropes of death were wrapped around me. The torrents of destruction terrified me. The ropes of Sheol entangled me and the snares of death confronted me. I called to the Lord in my distress and I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. David describes his place. This is where he was at in this. It was a place surrounded by fear. I don't think we've seen that place recently, have we? Where being in this Troublesome times were surrounded by fear. He says the ropes, the cords of death are wrapped around him. And he says torrents of destruction. Torrents are, speaks of floods and streams. He says torrents of destruction. And we read destruction and we're thinking just chaos and everything. But it's not just chaos. It's actually further than that. It's morally objectionable behavior causing chaos and ruin. It's pure, evil wickedness. David says, I'm surrounded by pure, evil wickedness. And you know what? It terrified him. Wickedness is terrifying. It's, it's okay. It's, it's terrifying. But, and, and, and David says, I continue. He's on the ropes and the cords of Sheol, the, the place where the dead are awaiting the holding place of the dead. He says, it entangles me and the snares of death confront me. Sometimes when we go to the Bible, we read about David and we're like, man, I want to be like David. David was a guy's guy. 
We read the song that he had his, he killed his tens thousands. And we go, I want to be like that because David wasn't afraid of nothing. We think of him as the warrior only, but here we get a glimpse of David as a sensitive soul, troubled by the same wickedness that troubles you and I today. If you are in the Lord Jesus today, right here tonight, what's going on in the world troubles you. And it's okay, it troubled David too. The wicked deeds of the world and the ungodly should trouble us. Though he was a battle-tested warrior, David had fears and was fearful. Understand that fear is not a problem. The problem comes from what we do in our fear. Are we paralyzed with fear? Do we, in our fear, turn away from God? Because there's many things that we can be afraid of. If, if we're going to turn away because we're afraid, what happens when we have the fear of losing our job for our beliefs? What happens if it even comes to the point of fear of losing our very life? Are we going to turn away from the Lord? I guarantee you that when they come and they make you make a choice based upon your life for your God, you're going to have fear. But we also have the promise of the Lord that he's there with us in that and he will give us the courage to stand. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is the, courage is the strength to stand in fear. So David says, I called out to the Lord in my distress. I called out to the Lord in this oppressive state, whether he's talking physical, mental, social, or economic. David faced all of those, didn't he? He was an outcast from society. He had no ec economic means by which he could care for himself. He had the oppressive state of physicality where people were trying to kill him. And what does that do to your mental state? Like, wait a minute, the Lord anointed me king, but people are trying to kill me. What's going on here? I work righteousness and the people are trying to kill me. It can bring us down. And David says, I cried to my God for help. When we're afraid, we have to do as David did. Turn to God. In your fear, turn to God. When we're afraid and fear is upon us, turn to the Lord, look to him. No matter how tough you think you are or how ready you say you are, no one's ready to face that ultimate foe of death until the moment where God is calling us home. I've spoken with many people that are in that valley, that are walking that valley of a shadow of death. And there's something different about the way that they face it than somebody else that I talk to that's nowhere near it. And it's because I believe that God gives a special grace when it's that time that we know that we're gonna go. You'll always find that those who God is calling home early or, or through a sickness or through something like that, they make peace with it much sooner because God gives them that peace than everybody else left around behind because God doesn't give them necessarily that peace in it because they're not the ones going. But no matter how tough you think you are, no one's ready for that death to be confronted by it. We don't welcome death. But we do have that wondrous thought to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But David says, from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry reached his ears. Now, I'm going to ask you a trick question. What temple is David talking about? Because this is before David was king, which means his son isn't there yet to build the temple. So he's talking about the heavenly temple. 
David knew enough of Scripture to know from the books of Moses, from Leviticus, that everything that was made in the tabernacle is a replication of heaven. So he knew that God was in his holy heavenly temple. And you know what's even, he he gives us a wondrous truth. God hears from his heavenly temple no matter who is calling out, and he delivers. If you call out to God, he hears you. He will deliver you. He hears because he's in his holy temple. David continues on in verse seven. He says, the earth shook and quaked. The fountain, the foundations of the mountain trembled. They shook because he burned with anger. Smoke rose from his nostrils and consuming fire came from his mouth. Coals were set ablaze by it. He bent the heavens and came down, total darkness beneath his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew, soaring on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place. Dark storm clouds, his canopy around him. From the radiance of his presence, his clouds swept onward with hail and blazing coals. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High made his voice heard. He shot his arrows and scattered them. He hurled lightning bolts and routed them. The depths of the sea became visible. The foundations of the world were exposed. At your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. What an awesome picture of deliverance. You don't have to be afraid of that picture because that is our God. That's our God when he comes to fight for us. David describes the fury and anger with which the Lord delivered him from his enemies. He called to God who heard from his holy heavenly temple and he came. It says, and when the Lord came to rescue him, the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of the mountains trembled and shook because of the Lord's anger. Did you know that the Lord becomes angry at the treatment of his people by the wicked and the ungodly? David describes it very vividly. He says, smoke rose from his nostrils, a consuming fire from his mouth, coals set ablaze by it. But I want to focus your attention on what it says. It says that he bent the heavens and came down. He rode on a cherub and flew, soaring on the wings of the wind. The idea is that he came quickly, swiftly, immediately. Now, I'm pretty sure that David would argue with how quickly God arrived. There's times where we call out to God and it seems like he takes forever to answer our cries for help. But I think what David is focusing on more is when the Lord says it's time, it's like that. It's quickly. It's not something that takes him time. He does it instantly. How many times have we been caught in the depths of, of our troubles and our trials And for whatever reason, it seems like we're stuck there right in the middle. It's like we get to the middle and we can't seem to get to the other side of it until God shows up to bring us to the other side. And when he shows up, it's like, boom, we're at the other side of it. How quickly he moves to take care of the enemies. It says that he bent the heavens. What an awesome hyperbole to describe how fast the Lord moves and what he will do to come to our aid. He's saying God moved the worlds to come to his aid. He thundered from heaven. He made his voice heard. He shot his arrows. He scattered them. He hurled lightning bolts and and routed them. And I, 
I want us to see this because I want you to know that when God delivers you, it's not kind of like a passive where God is just like, well, as soon as this passes, then you're fine. God actively delivers you. He does not passively deliver us. He actively delivers us. God gets up, he moves. He moves on our behalf. He fights on our behalf to deliver us. It says, he reached down from on high in verse 16 and took hold of me. He pulled me out of deep water. He rescued me from my powerful enemy and from those who hated me for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity and the Lord was my support. He brought me out to a spacious place and he rescued me because he delighted in me. David's praising the Lord. He says, he reached down from on high. How awesome is that to know that God reached down from on high? My, my kids, when they were younger, used to reach up to me like this. And the joy on their face when I got my hands under their arms and I picked them up. That's the joy when the Lord picks us up. That's the joy that we feel. I always see that when, it, when, when, we're, when we're singing praise songs. That's the way I see it. When you lift your hands up, you're, you're, you're like, Daddy, come pick me up. <laughs> come get me. He praises the Lord. He says he took hold of me. He pulled me out of deep water. Literally extracted him from the deep end where the torrents and waves are overpowering and he's drowning in trouble. It says, God took hold of me and rescued me from my powerful enemy and those who hated me. And then David declares this. He says, they were too strong for me. David learned this and we can learn this alongside David. Our strength is limited. We will always have enemies and troubles that are beyond our strength. But enemies and troubles beyond our strength are not beyond God's. No matter how powerful your enemy is, God is more powerful. Always. Because God is omnipotent. He's the all-powerful. He's the almighty. He's the Lord most high. He says, they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. And the Lord is all the support David needed. The Lord is all the support that we need. The Lord found David in verse six. It says that he found David in distress. That word distress could be also translated a tight place, cornered, barricaded in restricted in his movement and says when he delivered him, he brought him out to a spacious place from a tight spot to a place full of space and freedom. The hand of God is strong enough not only to pull us out of the floodwaters, but to also place us in complete safety. He doesn't rescue us. He's not, he's not a God who brings us out of the frying pan and only to leave us in the fire. When he rescues us, he pulls us out of the deep end and places us into safety. And David gives the reason that God rescued him. You see, we think we have to earn God's ear. We think we have to do enough good things for God to hear us when we pray to him. We, we, we have to deal with God. We, we, we believe that we have to make these negotiations with God. God, I'll do this if you'll just... Just, just rescue me a little bit, God, and I'll, and, and I'll study my Bible for an hour every day, I promise. 
But look at what, what David says. He says, the Lord rescued me because he delights in me. My brother and sister in Christ, the Lord rescues you because he delights in you. And this is true in two senses. The Lord delights in David because the Lord chose him and anointed him and set his marvelous loving kindness upon David. And the Lord delighted in David also because David lived righteously. David was a delight to the Lord, but the Lord delighted. But I want you to not get stuck on that legalistic mindset that always creeps in when those things are said. We do want to live righteously, but not so that God will delight in us. The Lord delights in us because he's chosen us in Christ. And it's in Christ that we are able to live righteously. It's not of our own works. It's not of our own making. We are in Christ, clothed in Christ, and the Lord delights in us the same as he delights in Christ. And David praises God for his faithfulness. In verse 20, he says, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. He repaid me according to the cleanness of my hands. For I've kept the ways of the Lord and have not turned from my God to wickedness. Indeed, I let all his ordinances guide me and have not disregarded his statutes. I was blameless toward him and kept myself from my iniquity. So the Lord repaid me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. David praises the Lord for his faithfulness and being a God who rewards accordingly. God is faithful. He doesn't change the way that he operates. He's immutable. He's unchanging. God operates the same today as he did then. He operates the same then as he does today. There's a lot of people that say, oh, well, that's the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is a different God. No, it's the same God. He's still a God of loving kindness, a God who is a rewarder of righteousness. He rewards accordingly. And David says he's been repaid according to the cleanness of his hands. He's kept his ways of the Lord and has not turned from God to wickedness because that's the only choice. You're either following God or you're following wickedness. To turn from God is to turn to wickedness. There's no other way to cut it. It's either you're on the path with God or every other path is wickedness. That's why Jesus came and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me because there's only one way to God. Every other way does not lead to God. David declares that the ordinance of God guide him and he has not disregarded his statutes. You want to know how to walk with God? You got to follow his word. So during his long season of affliction under Saul, David was challenged constantly on how he was going to respond. Being treated unfairly, would would David respond in kind, unrighteously? Or would David hold to the righteousness? You see, the temptation from wrongful treatment is to respond unrighteously, to respond in kind. Well, they did it to me, so I'm going to do it to them. And that's why Jesus' golden rule wasn't do unto others as they do unto you, because they deserve it. Jesus said the golden rule is this, treat others as you would have them treat you. 
That's the way of righteousness. Our righteousness is not displayed in how we're treated, but it's in how we respond. What's going to guide us? Are we guided by our own feelings, our own flesh, our own wants? Or are we guided by God's statutes, by God's ordinances, by God's word? David says, I was blameless towards him, blameless towards Saul, kept myself from iniquity. Blameless towards God, kept myself from iniquity. There's two different ways you can look at that. But if you look at it in in David claiming he was blameless towards God, some people doubt that David wrote this because of that statement. Because David was far from perfect. We talked about it last time. Um, Ask Uriah the Hittite. Or you can even ask the thousands who died because of a choice that David made to unlawfully do a census of the people. They died in a plague because of it. But David says, the Lord repaid me according to my righteousness. And I want us to see this. And I think the Lord wants us to see it. What a beautiful picture. Righteousness here in this spot comes with two ideas behind it. There's righteous before God, but then there's an idea of righteous forgiven by God. David had blown it. We know that. David had blown it, but he also repented and sought forgiveness from the Lord. And these verses go along with verses 25 through 29. And it's all about God's faithfulness and the fact that those who love God are loved by God. And we need to understand this. As a Christian, your righteousness doesn't come from your obedience. It comes from your relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You will never be good enough to be righteous before God. God knew that. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross. So it's in Jesus that we're clothed with the righteousness necessary to stand before God. In verse 25, David says, With the faithful you prove yourself faithful. With the blameless you prove yourself blameless. With the pure you prove yourself pure. But with the crooked, you prove yourself shrewd. For you rescue an oppressed people, but you humble those with haughty eyes. Now, David understood the nature of God. His relationship with God helped him to understand the nature of God. That God is a rewarder of people according to the character of their heart. Now, translators have had trouble with the second half of uh, verse 26, because it communicates a difficult concept. In other translations, it it would say that with the crooked, you yourself are crooked, but the Lord is not crooked. The The Lord is not twisted. God is not going to, uh, be wicked towards the wicked because God cannot be wicked. So the second half of the parallel here is ambiguous word and the root meaning is twisted. And so the verse is actually saying to the twisted, you will show yourself twisted. And the idea is that if a person insists on going devious ways in his dealings with God, God will outwit him as that man deserves. But God deals with people as is their heart. That's why it says God is the discerner of the hearts of men says, you look on the outside, but I, the Lord, look at the inward man, the heart of a man. 
That's how he could look at David and say, he's a man after my own heart. When he looks at us, if we are in Christ Jesus, he sees a heart covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. It says that you rescue oppressed people and you humble those with haughty eyes. We know this. This is a principle taught all throughout scripture that God loves to give grace to the humble. You want to have grace? Come to God humbly and say, God, I don't deserve grace, but I'm begging for it. Don't come and say, God, you owe me because God will knock you down. James in James 4, 6 says that God gives grace to the humble. In 1 Peter 5, 5, he says the same thing, that God gives, resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, humble people in the Psalms, these are all the underdogs. These are the ones that we will meet frequently throughout the Psalms. It, it's humble, the poor, the afflicted, the weak, the needy. We're all those things before Christ, if we're willing to admit it. That's what he's looking for. Who has the heart to say, God, I fall short. God, I can't do this. Those are the people that he rescues. Verse 28, David says, Lord, you light my lamp. My God illuminates my darkness. With you, I can attack a barricade. And with my God, I can leap over a wall. God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is pure. He's a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is a rock? Only our God. You see, David says, God, you set right the affairs of men. Not only that, look at what David says. We need to have this same heart. When, when we begin praising God, we need to get to this point where we say, that, God, you light my lamp. You are the fire of my soul. You illuminate my darkness. Without you, I have nothing. He says, but with you, I can attack a barricade. Nothing blocks me. Nothing stops me. I can leap over a wall. A wall is a barrier. But with you, God, there are no barriers. There's no longer obstacles. God can be trusted for our safety and our salvation. But the only thing that can be trusted for our safety and our salvation is God only. He's the only rock. He's the only one to which we can cling. We need to praise God as the true source of our achievement. There is a tendency deep-seated in our hearts that we want to elevate ourselves. The only way to do that is to praise God as the true source of anything that we do. He says, God, he clothes me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me securely on the heights. He trains my hands for war. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You've given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand upholds me. Your humility exalts me. You make a spacious, spa a spacious place beneath me for my steps. And my ankles do not give way. In victory, David praises God. But he praises God as the true source of his victory and achievement. There are some times where people are in a hole and they're, God, rescue me, God, rescue me. And then all of a sudden they get out of the hole and they go, look what I did. 
Sometimes when we do that enough, God may leave us in our trouble longer because he wants us to understand it's not of us. It's not anything by us. It's all him. It says God is a jealous God and he shares his glory with no one. David says he makes my feet quick and sure and sets me securely on the heights. Parents, we would do well to train our kids in all that they achieve and all that they do to thank God for the gifts that he gave them, whether it's natural athletic prowess, whether it's musical ability, whether it's mathematical ability, whether it's just good looks. God has blessed us with every good blessing. None of it was anything that we could have, we we had no choice in the matter. David says, he trains my hands for war. David was a a well-accomplished warrior, but never once did he say, it's because I'm so good. It's because I practiced for hours and hours and hours a day with a sling because I was bored with all those sheep. Never once did he say, look what I did. He says, God will deliver you into my hand when he hit, when he fought Goliath. Even now he says he trains my hands for war. He says, God is giving me strength in my arms. He admits he's got strength in his arms, but he says, God gave it to me. David is keenly aware that his victory did not come from his own ability and his own strength. His success at this point was all because of Yahweh, his God of salvation. says that God makes perfect the steps of those who seek to do his will and are committed to him. In the Lord, when we, when we are in the Lord, our ways, our feet, they're stable. He says he puts my feet on spacious ground um, and my ankles do not give way. I've rolled both my ankles before. And so uh, I did that when I was 19 years old. So it was, you know, a couple years ago. And um, now when I walk, there, there are times where my ankle just decides, you know what? I don't feel like supporting the weight anymore. So it, it, it just rolls again. And, and I've almost stumbled quite a few times. Curbs are like my downfall, literally. And um, what David is saying here is his ankles don't give way because the ground is so sure when you're walking in the ways of the Lord. Your feet will not slip. You are on solid ground. Your feet are stable. It doesn't matter what the condition of the roadway is. When you are walking in God, it doesn't matter what the road you're traveling on looks like. What matters is, are you walking in the ways of the Lord? He continues on. He says, I pursue my enemies and I overtake them. I don't turn back until they're wiped out. I crush them and they cannot get up. They fall beneath my feet. He says, but you have clothed me with strength for battle. You subdue my adversaries beneath me. You have made my enemies retreat before me. I annihilate those who hate me. They cry for help, but there's no one to save them. They cry to the Lord, but he does not answer them. And so I pulverize them like dust before the wind and I trample them in the mud in the streets. David admit, David says, I have the victory. I'm, I'm putting my enemies to pursuit. I'm overtaking them. I'm taking them out. But he says, but God, you clothed me with the strength. You're the one that subdued them. You're the reason they're not being rescued because you're not answering their call. Now, don't read into that and think that anybody can call out to God and he's going to ignore them. These people were calling out for help, but not to God and not for God, and they weren't even looking at God for it. He 
David recognizes it's God who clothes me with strength. Because of God, my enemies retreat. The question is, when we experience victory, who do we recognize for our victory? Who are we giving credit to for our victory? Who do we acknowledge in our strengths, in our skills, in our abilities? In verse 43, David says, You've freed me from the feuds among the people. You've appointed me the head of nations, a people who had not known serve me. A people I had not known serve me. Foreigners submit to me, cringing. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners lose heart and come trembling from their fortifications. David is set on the king, on the throne as king, and he's given favor with these nations. You know why? Because they've heard of the exploits of David. They heard that it's his God who fights for him. It's his God who delivered him. An entire kingdom was seeking him to destroy him. Not only that, but also the Philistines didn't like him. And he's out in the wilderness in their land as well. And God kept him. Trust me, when that happens, people take note. And so because of that, people that he didn't even know would listen would heed what he said, would, would, would come cringing. They, they didn't come uh, uh, thinking that they could do anything with David. They were like, man, how do I get on this guy's good side? Because his God is mighty. We need to praise God in our victory because praising God in victory reminds us that God is the true source for our victory. So David will close out this psalm the same way he started it. By praising the Lord God. It says, the Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. The God of my salvation is exalted. God, he grants me vengeance and subdues peoples under me. He frees me from my enemies. You exalt me above my adversaries. You rescue me from violent men. Therefore, I'll give, you thank, give thanks to you among the nations. Lord, I will sing praises about your name. He gives great victories to his king. He shows loyalty to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. God's deliverance moves David to sing. God's deliverance in our lives should move us to sing as well. We should be glorifying God and singing his praises whenever we get the chance. We don't have to wait until we're doing it here um, before church or after church. You can turn on uh, praise music in, in, in uh, your car. You can do it at your house. You can flip to the Psalms and sing these Psalms out loud, singing praise to the Lord God. I would encourage you that as you praise God, write down specific things that he's done in your life. Who is God to you? Is he your comfort? Is he your shelter? your rock that you cling to, call it out. Let him know. It reminds me, Romans 8.35, Paul says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can our affliction, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword... And as it is written, it says, because of you, we're being put to death all the day long. We're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Because of the name of the Lord, his people are being put to death and persecuted. Cannot separate us from the love of God? Paul resounds with an uh, absolute no. In all things, we are more than conquerors 
through him who loved us. No matter what enemy or trouble we face, because of God's love for us, because God delights in us, in our life, he delivers us and makes us more than conquerors. We are more than victorious. And like David, what more can we do but sing praise when we look back on God's great provision and ministry in our lives? As we look back, as we get out of the troubles, we look back and we see how God was working. We go, wow, in that, God has shown me this. I have a much deeper grasp and hold upon him as my Lord and my Savior. Psalm 18 is a victor's song of praise for God and all that had been accomplished. This song was composed early in David's life at the moment he became king. Here in Psalms where we're encountering it, it's repeated again and it's thought to be later in his life, probably towards the end of his life, maybe in the last years of his life. Twice recorded in scripture, minor variations between the two. If you want to read the first time it was recorded, 2 Samuel chapter 22. It speaks from two contexts. The first was David's victory over Saul when he received the throne of Israel. He sung it as a grateful retrospect in Psalm 22 over his entire life. And this is what he says. He says, I've kept the way of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from God. What a song of deliverance. We see the deliverance from his troubles with Saul, but even at the end of his life, when we come to the end of our life, if we keep to the statutes of God, if we keep clinging to the Lord, our rock, we come to the end of our life, we'll see that he delivered us in this life, that we never turned astray, that we never went on a crooked path, that we never stumbled our foot, but that he kept us in every way. You see, it was one thing for David to say it before his sin with Bathsheba and against Uriah. It's another thing for him to say that I've kept the ways of the Lord and not wickedly departed from God after that sin. And here's what the point is. You can trust the righteousness that God gives you. David relied upon his clean heart before the Lord. And in Christ, we, when we stand before God at the end of our life, when we get to see how he's delivered, we can stand before him with a clean heart. We don't have to fool around wondering if we're good enough for God to care about us. You are good enough because Jesus is good and he's given his goodness to you if you are here tonight in Christ Jesus. Understand, when you feel your weakest, God is doing his strongest work. David was in a, in a bad place. He was going into the deep. He was going under. You see, places of weakness is where we get to forget ourselves and rely on something other than us. It's not just crying because we're overwhelmed. It's crying out for help and relying on God because we can't do anything for ourselves, but knowing that he hears and he answers. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, talks about the spiritual warfare. Because right now I believe that we're involved in spiritual warfare and I believe it's just only getting more and more intense. Paul says, be strong 
in the Lord. My brothers and sisters in Christ, don't try to be strong in your own strength. Be strong in the Lord. He's the one strong in us. He clothes us in his strength. Know that God is moved by your situation, by your plight. If you look at the imagery from verses 17 to 19, it's strong. It's a picture of God sneaking undetected into the situation. We think that God is far from our situation, but little do we know he's sneaking into our situation and springing forth explosively to give us victory. We don't think that God is even in the vicinity in our worst troubles. But understand this, God's victories don't come And God's victories don't look how we would expect. We're looking for him to come in one way or do one thing. And he has something else planned. But understand this, they are victories just the same. And I leave you with this last point from here. There's no battle too tough, no opponent too strong, no circumstance too difficult, or problem too large. There's not even a situation too hopeless that the Holy Spirit who is working in you cannot accomplish exactly what it is that God wants to do in your situation. Put your hope in the solid rock and praise the Lord your God. As we close, I do have, I do have our worship team here somewhere. As we close, um, we cling to our rock. Christ is our rock. If you look back through this psalm, this psalm from beginning to end is a picture of Jesus Christ. If the first six verses suggest the death of Jesus Christ, the pangs of death encompassed me, the sorrows of Sheol surround me, the snares of death confronted me. 17 to 8, I'm sorry, 7 to 18 suggests the resurrection. The earth shook and trembled and the foundations of the hills quaked and were shaken. He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters and delivered me from my strong enemy. 19 to 27 suggests his exaltation, his ascension. I've kept the ways of the Lord. I was also blameless before him. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness. 28 to 42 suggests his victory. For by you, I can run against troop. I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them. Jesus was strong enough to run against the enemy, to be victorious. The enemies against us are strong and disciplined, but Jesus confronted them. Jesus defeated them. He's great enough to jump over the wall, the wall of God's holy law. He didn't destroy the wall. But with his holy life, he jumped over it and fulfilled the law on our behalf. And verses 43 through 50 suggest his future coming kingdom. You've made me the head of nations. Foreigners submit to me. You lift me up against those who rise against me. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles. We see that the the Lord was that David was called anointed, but it says in David's descendants forever after. We know that Jesus came from the line of David. Jesus is known as the anointed one. 
And David was a representation of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We are the descendants in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, as we consider your place, as we consider your character and your person, our hearts are overwhelmed with joy, overflowing with gratitude. Father, remind us of your greatness, of your goodness, of your deliverance, of who you are in our life, our rock, our shelter, our support, the one who clothes us in strength. Father, even in our difficulties, help us to remember that, that we might praise you, Father God, for it's in our praises that we are strong because in our praises we are close to you. We call out to you, Father God, and in you we find our strength. Father, you rescue those who are close to you. You rescue those who are clothed in the righteousness. And today, here, if we're in Christ Jesus, we're clothed in that righteousness, and you've delivered us. And Father, we look forward to the time when you will deliver us finally and completely. Lord, maybe there's some here that are listening. Maybe there's some here that are hearing Father God and they can't praise you because they don't know you. Father, I pray that your spirit would lead them to the cross, the cross of Jesus, the one who died, living that holy life, fulfilling that holy requirement for us and offering us that free forgiveness, that righteousness that comes from being forgiven. Father, I don't know what what deep place they might be trapped in, what deep place we might feel like we're in. Father, I pray and I call out that you would come and yet you would deliver those who are caught in that deep place as they cling to the rock, as they cling to Jesus, as they cling to your name, Father, that they would see that you are the only one who can deliver. You are the only rock. And it's in Jesus' name that we come to you and that we stand before you. Amen.